Hi everyone and welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS. I am Val Sopi and currently I'm running Blogstatic.io, a blogging and newsletter platform. In this show, I invite guests to talk about SaaS and sometimes I run solo with an update. Hey Dominic, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on Val. I've been a long time listener, so it's nice to be a first time caller. Looking forward to having a little chat. Oh, it's awesome to hear, man. I didn't know you were listening to this little show of mine, so thanks. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been, I think since we first started interacting on Twitter, I was like, oh, hey, Val's got a podcast. And I've, I've not listened to them in order. I right. don't, I'm, not, I'm not a, I guess I don't listen like a subscriber. I pick out the ones that I'm like, oh, that's a cool person or that's a cool topic. And I just make my way through podcasts that way. Maybe I'm weird, but I think that's a cool way to do it. I do it the same way. I mean, I usually when I'm listening to a podcast, I usually look at the guests they have or like the topic that's being discussed. And I've changed my sort of um, theme, if I can say that, of my podcast. used to be like more solo. I would go on maybe for 10 to 20 minutes just updating whoever was listening about what my product is doing and how it is doing. And now I'm like recently I've had guests mostly every week. Mm. which is great. But as we were talking before starting recording, it's becoming so hard to put them together, even though there's not a lot of work into it. Like I just have to add the intro and outro. But uh, yeah, uh, it's just getting harder and harder to put it together and do some research beforehand. So the show is more prepared. But uh, so anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, why are we here today? And I've been starting my show with, uh, with the simple question of asking each guest of who they are. So my first question is, who is Dominic today? I love that question. I think I tweeted you saying I love that yes. question the first time <laughs> you asked it as well. Yeah. And I think today I am a, I oh, see I had something prepared and now I don't like it. And you've put me under pressure. Today, let's, let's freestyle it. <laughs> today, Dom <laughs> is a freelance marketer that loves what he does because everyone lets him get on with it. And that's not to say that I don't like talking to people, but I've reached the point where people, I guess, trust me with their content marketing enough for me to just go and sit on the beach for eight hours and work there and just keep up, keep in touch with everybody how I want to. And I know that me working that way, I can produce results better than sitting in an office or having a 45 minute video call where everybody works together. I think all of my customers are at the point where they, they trust me, which is a really nice place to be. And I guess it's it's only happened because of everything that's preceded it, which is hard work, smart work, and, and producing results. I like that. I like that, you're, that your customers let you do and be the way you want it to be. Like that is, like that sounds to me like a dream come true for anybody searching to do their best thing, I guess. Yeah, I think it's mainly because they're all just nice people as well. And mm-hmm. and that's that's something you can choose, right? Rather than I guess coach. You can you can say no to a customer if if, if you don't like working with them. You can you can pick one, two, three customers instead of having ten or twenty per quarter or whatever. I I've had the same two, I guess, core customers, if we call them that, for for quite a long time now. Um but would I change them? No, probably not. Why, why would I? I enjoy working with the people. I enjoy the technologies and the products that we are marketing effectively. And like I said, I can go and work in a coffee shop or I can work from home. I can do whatever I want. They just, there's a lot of freedom 
And I think when people have become freelance anything, not just freelance marketers or writers like me, they forget that there's the first syllable is free in freelance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 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 what I enjoy most about my my job or jobs today. I like that. Not free as in free work. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but free as in freedom. So yeah, I love that. And how do you like uh, going back to talking about your clients? How do you select your clients? Like, what is your criteria? Is it the size of the business, the type of the person? Like, do they have to, do you have to have things that you like mutually even? Like, is that a criteria or what are some of your criteria in that sense? So I'm, I'm very niche. All of my clients are, I'm going to use a term that probably none of your listeners know, unified communications, or I guess a better way to explain it is like business communications, collaboration apps like Slack, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, WebEx. A lot of people, I guess, if you're just a user of that service, just you use it every day because that's what you do at work, right? A lot of people don't understand that there's so much more that all of these platforms do. So normally my customers are people that work with those kind of platforms, or maybe they are that platform. And they need help with building out a content marketing campaign for their new product or a new update or whatever it might be, or starting a podcast, or maybe they don't have a blog. Maybe they've relied on people reselling their service or things like that. So it's very niche. It's all platforms like that. So last year I worked with Ring Central for a while, which are a big name in the space. Earlier this, oh no, we're in 2022 now, aren't we? So last year before I worked with Ring Central on some blog posts. Last year I worked with Cisco, who are obviously huge. Uh, on some product marketing positioning, which is a little bit different from, from what I do with the majority of my customers. But then at the same time, I've got people like Mio, who I spend most of my time with. There's 20 people, and I started when there was 10 with no, no budget, no direction, no anything like that. So there's there's a mixed bag when it comes to size of company and ambition and what they're doing, what they've already done. But it's mostly within that that core niche. Okay. All right. And does it matter? Like I find myself sometimes if I'm doing some work for, for a client, um, I find that um, I have to engage with them for quite some time. And I really have to have some things in common with them or like them or them to like me. Like, do you have something weird like that? Like I do? I think the the product and the industry is the natural coming together. It's, oh, hey, Dom's worked in business communications for 10 years before he was a marketer. So he probably knows the products that we're talking about. He's probably provisioned the service. He's probably gone out and seen the customers that are already using it. He's probably sat in a contact center and identified what they're doing right and wrong and the changes they can make and things like that. That was my previous career before I was a marketer. I was literally like the person pushing the buttons and and working out why you might need the service. Mm -hmm. And I think that's naturally come into so we can trust him to get to know our audience and product and industry fairly quickly. So I don't, I don't spend too much time, I guess, on, uh, what's the right way to phrase it? Maybe non-output work. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done a lot of research with other customers. I've got my own bank of information, either documented or in my head from personal experience. And I think a lot of, a lot of what draws me to a customer is is what i said at the beginning right it's uh, how, how much do they want to work do they want to work with me rather than telling me what to do and i think it's hey we'd love you to write a content marketing strategy for our product or we've got 10 blog posts 
here's the brief. It's which way do they want to approach it? And I think that's that's how we find a match. I don't just want to be mm-hmm. a cog in a very big, uh, or, or maybe an organization, but but function. And I don't really want to be just just going through the motions. I want to be driving change within a business. I want to be increasing revenue in whatever business it might be, so that I'm validating that actually I'm st- I'm, st- I'm still good at my job and. I will retain this person as a customer if I do a good job rather than just churning out content for, for content's sake, which a lot of people get into the cycle of and then they don't like freelancing anymore and you post negative things on Twitter and things like that. I don't ever want to get into that mindset. So as long as we are right. on the same wavelength, then same wavelength, same industry, then I think we're, we're a good match. Yeah, and it's, it's very important that you know what you want, you know, like you're sort of niche down to like the specific area and then the work that comes your way, I guess you're uh, sort of expecting it to be a certain way. Like they have expectations set in a certain way because of your experience, uh, credentials, references. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty cool. So let me go to the most basic question of all. Why is SEO important, especially for new startups and new products? So there's, there's about a thousand different answers for that. Probably more, in fact, when I think about it. I could probably write you a blog post on 1,000 different reasons why SEO is important. But the fundamental answer is that... Let me let me answer your question with another question. Sure. What is, what is the biggest information source online? It's Google, right? Google is a search engine. Everybody with access to the internet will have googled something in their life why would you opt to not optimize your content to be found on google when there are however many billion zillion searches per week month year the whole the whole process around optimization is a, is a horrible word i think um but yeah i would i would say that the biggest most fundamental answer to that question is why would you not want to be seen on the biggest information source in the world? Yeah. Um, so following that, uh, question, um, have you ever had an experience where the business itself, and I've had this conversation with other founders and makers, have you had an experience or have you witnessed where the business or the product started as a result? from the founders noticing a gap maybe on high volume, low competition, some niche area. So the purpose of the business, the existence of it was based on those actual gaps in search rather than a founder coming up with an idea. Maybe not, maybe not so much the, the actual core product or the business, but certainly when there are, I guess when there's already an established category, so we take my category because I can speak about it with the most confidence. So Slack was invented in whenever, 2014. Microsoft Teams came along in 2017, I think I'm right in saying. And fast forward five years later, people now have both. Therefore, they're using them both at the same time. That's what the Mio product does, right? It allows you to send messages from Slack to Microsoft Teams. So mm-hmm. Mio exists today because that problem was becoming more and more high volume like you said but people weren't searching for the name of the product which is like message interop nobody searches for that people do search for how do i connect slack and microsoft teams 
or Slack and Teams integration, things like that. So mm-hmm. there was clear volume there from uh, yeah, either in search or through just talking to customers or going on forums and things like that. The, the Microsoft Teams community forum has, I think, nearly a million members, something like that. And there's all sorts of different queries that you can go through that, although they might not be on search, on SEO tools and things like that, and they're harder to pick up because they're like really long tail strings. How do I do X if I've got Y or whatever? But if you spend the time and find the right kind of search strings, it does become quite clear that there is a big gap in this market. And if I search for it, you you might be in the rare instance where you get Google did not return any results. Mm-hmm. I've had a friend, um, I don't know if, you, if I'm interrupting, no shoot. Okay, uh, Ruben Gomez. He's uh, he's an OG. He's had he's had products since before any of us started making them, and now he has some more. And one of his latest products, actually, he started by first searching for various problems and noticing a gap. And we had this conversation on Twitter, talking about it a little bit more and. It seemed very obvious to me because before I was making block static, I was making a project management tool, which was a crazy, crazy, crazy area to be in because competition is so high and oh, it's huge, you know, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't compete. I mean, with SEO or anything like that. So I've noticed that. And then recently, I've had this idea of, hey, what if I were to start a new product? Like, what would be the way to go about doing that? Um, so, what would be some ways if, like, let's say somebody has no idea what to do, maybe has some sort of categories he wants to touch on, but what would be some of the ways to go before starting a product, before validating, before writing any line of code, what would be some of the ways to go about searching something that maybe has a volume, maybe not huge, but there's a gap in it that you can do something with it? Like what would be some of the steps that they can take? So I I think it it starts with the communities you hang out in, right? I've, that was a, I've, I've got a, a personal example, which is completely not related to business and something I've never followed through on. Um, and maybe it's really, really niche, um, but I'll tell you it anyway. So when, so I, uh, I own some racehorses and I gamble on racehorses and I would like an alert if a horse gets to a certain price. So I Googled that and it didn't exist, but in other, I guess, niche communities, people have said, why doesn't this exist? So what I should have done is written about it, ranked high on Google because there was nothing else there mm-hmm. and developed a product that way. But I didn't have the, I don't have the product skills. I'm the marketer. I'm not the person that makes the product. So that was kind of hard for me. So I, I kind of stopped it there. It still doesn't exist. If anyone does want to take that and run with that, then um, mm-hmm. royalties to uh, Dominic at, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> But the, yeah, I guess take a look at the communities you're in and by communities, I mean, it could be Twitter. It could be a niche forum for something. It might be a Slack workspace where people come together. Are people asking the same thing over and over again, or are there some niche areas that people need genuine help with and they don't know of a certain product? There's, there's a Slack workspace I'm in, which is, Jimmy's done a huge job with it. It's, um, I think, I don't know how many people there are now. I was going to say 2,000, but then I've noticed there's at least 5,000 in, in one of the Slack channels. Um, it's a it's a community forum run on Slack for content marketers. And every day someone says, have you got a tool for this? Is there a course for this? 
all of those, if they didn't exist, you could just quite easily take them and start producing content around it if you had a product for it. I think mm -hmm. it's harder to, for me personally, it's harder to go away and build a product or find someone to help build that product than it is for me to say, well, look, there's clearly a use case for this. I could write something that could rank fairly high on Google because nobody else is searching for this because nobody else has made this product yet. One sort of conundrum that I've had um, is I know that, you know, people say that you should start SEO as soon as you can, right? Um, when you have a new product and maybe you sort of have the idea what category belongs in, and let's say you start doing SEO the very first day, you have this little product, this MVP that you're launching. But the thing with products is that they change over time. And initially, you really don't know where it belongs. So I always have a problem with people saying, you know, you should start SEO right away. And let's say I do that, but I may be ranking for things that my product could not be a good fit for anymore down the line. So like, how do you fight that? Or like, how generic do you get initially just to get some ranking or some backlinks potentially so there's 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 two ways to approach this that that i recommend i is recommend even the right word D depending on your appetite for the two things i'm about to say really most people like to either both of these work but most people like to either focus on bottom of the funnel content which in non-marketing speak means you're writing about your product what problems does it solve? How does it help me? How does it work? What does it actually do? How do I install it? Things like that. So you're writing very, very specifically about the problems your product solves. So if somebody searches for that particular problem, then you stand the highest chance of ranking for it. But there's probably lower volume of traffic or of searches for people searching for that because it's very specific. But those are the people you want. They are ready to buy a product or service because they've identified what their problem is and they're not in the research phase there and us marketers call it search intent their intent is to buy that product or evaluate that product they're not at the point where they are seeing if they can solve the problem they they know they can and they just they just want to download it like you might type in download zoom that's because you want to download zoom right? That's completely different from video conferencing apps for Mac. You don't know what they are at that, that point. One of them might be Zoom, but there's probably a hundred that are compatible with Zoom. So there, there's very different intents. So you could write bottom of the funnel content, which is very niche about the, pro the problems your product solves, and you'll be found that way by the right people because you're writing very specifically. The complete opposite of that spectrum which is probably the answer to your question. If your product changes, if you pivot and that's no longer the problem you solve, or there's a different audience, you could go for some real big hitter content that is fairly generic, but similar industries, even if you do change down the line, which like you said, draws in loads of backlinks, gets loads of shares on social media and things like that. And this is content like influencer infographics or independent research about a certain industry or things like that, things that people will 
either be flattered to be included in. So they'll link to it. They'll put it on their portfolio, on their website. They'll share it on their Twitter, their LinkedIn, etc. Or if it's independent research with some real juicy stats, you draw in loads of links that way. So with Mio, we were, we produced our own independent research in 2019, July 2019. And it was all completely first-hand data that we'd gone out and got. We had a type form. We produced beautiful graphs and things like that, made it all interactive. Probably the best kind of graph I've ever seen. It was beautiful. Um, and that got a ton of links, a ton of email signups, just because it was fresh data that other people could include in their blog posts, in their press releases, in their journalism articles, whatever it might be. It was it was genuine data. So there's both ends of the spectrum. It's really getting niche about your product and the problems it solves, or it's going really broad and I guess generating those links. The benefits of the benefits of the first one with the bottom of the funnel content is you'll probably get more sales earlier. But like you said, if you pivot later on have you built that domain authority is just what seos call it it's are you established in that domain the mio blog for example is established in slack microsoft teams zoom cisco but if i wrote about podcasting software i wouldn't expect it to rank anywhere near the first page of google because we have no authority in that domain did any of that make sense it did it did and it goes back to me thinking about sort of my situation where I'm a solo founder, solo maker, I work on my own. And usually the problem that I have is it takes me maybe a day or so to do some research, do an outline uh, with sort of the knowledge that I have about SEO. Uh, and then the next day, probably I'll write something, maybe a thousand, two thousand words, just sort of like a draft, a quick rough draft. And then maybe another day to clear it up, uh, reformat it. So it takes me about three days, three and a half days maybe to post something. And then usually I go back to comparing it to, let's say, what would I have accomplished if I was coding something, which, have, which would have been a lot more. So my question, I guess, you know, to that is, how do I get to a point where I, you know, like, how do I solve that? How do I, you know, if I, if I go with the second option of, doing the, you know, the long articles with the study and then linking all these resources with potential that they link back to me, or maybe they even tweet about me, et cetera, about my product in this case. Like, how do I do that con consistently? You know, like that's sort of my, my struggle, my biggest struggle as a solo founder. You're not alone. That's for sure. That. Right. I think the, the, the biggest thing for me as a writer, for me as a marketer and for I guess everyone that asks me similar questions like this, right? It's about finding a process that works for you. I'm, I'm a writer because one, obviously I like writing, but two, because I can do it productively and efficiently. If it was going to take me five days to do what I think I could probably achieve in a day, then I would be disheartened. I wouldn't want to do it. I'd be, my morale would be through the floor, right? Over time I've developed it's not, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a particularly personal process. It's just, I, I create a content outline, which is the very first thing I make. I don't start writing until I've got my outline. And that's because that that's, that's me telling me or another writer from handing off to a freelancer or a guest poster or anything like that. My outline says, here's what's going to go in it. I've got the framework. I know what I now need to go in and put in it. 
and this isn't like keywords or anything for SEO. It's what is this article going to include of uh, include? So that that might be things from Google. That might be I've gone onto Google, typed in what I want to type, what I want to write about, and Google then gives you information about that search string. Right there, are, there are questions underneath that say what is X Y Z or how do you do X Y Z when you've typed in your key xyz string into google it gives you those prompts these are the things that people want to know about when they search for this and then if you scroll down to the bottom of the page you've got the same again uh, similar searches or related searches these are also things that your this particular audience will find interesting so you might want to include those in there so i gather all that information and then put it into some kind of order it doesn't have to be in that order obviously you're in control of your document you can pick what goes in it you've built that content outline it might be you've got a rough title and you've got four or five subsections and within those four or five subsections you've got things to include so you now know what you're going to write that immediately removes the writer's block or not knowing not knowing not knowing what is going to go into your blog post mm -hmm. from then i just go and smash out my first like 500 words it, it it tends to be 500 words. I don't know why. It's just I can write 500 words very quickly if I've got a content outline. At that point, if I've kind of exhausted my typing or just my creativity, go and do something else. Go and code your product. Go and mm -hmm. post about it on social media. Go and do something else. Don't force yourself to stay in that kind of unproductive zone. Like I, I mentioned to you before we started, recording today i've not i said i've not really done a lot because i drove back to my house i then i said i did a little bit of work i think is what i said to you i just wrote a 1200 word blog post and then i went and walked my dogs and then we started recording but that 1200 word blog post i started maybe two months ago i wrote an outline then today i came to it and just mm -hmm. wrote it out because my outline was already there that that pause in between it doesn't have to be 1200 words or 500 words it could just be let's get on while you're productive while you're in the mood for writing i guess and that so that really helps me having an outline and writing in bursts i also think that collaborating with other people helps what makes your blog post better is having other people either write a little bit of it or give you a quote or send you a video to embed or something like that so in almost every blog post i write i ask for help like mm -hmm. you with a lot of my customers and with my personal staff i'm a solo founder or marketer or whatever you might want to call it. But right. like some of the communities I mentioned, and I'm sure you've seen me post on Twitter, I ask for help a lot. And that's because I know that that will make my content better, but also easier to complete. Yeah, and uh, it's more inspiring at times, you know, you can, um, something in your mind can spark some new idea that maybe you didn't have. So that does make total sense. and. I write, I can write too in like short bursts, but usually what I find myself doing is like, if I stop, then I sort of keep going, you know, trying to like, you know, I kill myself over it just to get to the thousand words or 2000 words, et cetera. And that's like, so I don't even know what the word would be, but it's just draining in after a while. Uh, yeah. So when, I, when I first became a freelancer, I, I worked like that because I was on with, with one of my customers, it was, it was more journalism than marketing. Mm -hmm. but I was paid per article and I knew that if I wrote four 500 word articles per day, then I would hit what I considered was my day rate. Okay. That was a real toxic way of working because 
what if I needed a quote from somebody to make it a good piece? What if I needed a unique angle from somebody? What if I just didn't know what to write? Then I wouldn't make my day rate because I wouldn't be writing the full four articles. But what I could do is start those four articles, come back to them in a day or a week's time and finish them there and then. So changing the way that I worked and not trying to do one post in one sitting Mm -hmm. made me a lot more efficient and made me enjoy writing again. Because I think with that particular customer I got sucked into, I was just doing it to hit a target, which was I would like to earn my day rate by the end of the day. And if I don't, if I don't finish these number of words, then I'm out of pocket for that particular day. But it's all about seeing it in the the longer term, I think. And that applies to uh, most of what I do, finishing an article, freelancing, content marketing, SEO. It's all about thinking about it more long term. If you don't finish something today, if you don't rank immediately, it's not the end of the world. You can catch it back up. It will catch back up with you. And is the 1200 word is sort of a standard? Like I hear everybody mentioning that. Like, can I... Can I achieve the same results with, say, like a 500-word article? Like if I get the phrases right and whatever Google's looking for that particular long tail? I would love to say yes. Okay. <laughs> but, but, there's in re- but. but in reality, not unless it's on a site with millions of backlinks like a Forbes or a Business Insider or a... Oh, a big okay. a big national newspaper or something like that. Wall Street Journal, you could probably write 200 words in rank above everybody else that has worked so hard to get there, which which is wrong. But they have also spent so much time gaining that authority through producing good content. I'm not saying they don't produce good content, but also through gaining tons and tons of links through. You write anything in the press and someone's going to link to it, right? That's, that's I guess, journal, journalism SEO, which is a completely different ballgame. But Google doesn't take those things into consideration when it's ranking your article. It's either, hey, you've written about stocks and shares on Wall Street Journal, therefore it's probably going to go number one against a small blog, a solo founder. You're going to have to do a good job of it. It's going to have to be super comprehensive. And I think I, I mentioned this in a podcast with Brett McGrath, who's a, a really cool marketer doing stuff at the juice i i always aim to produce the best version available online excuse me the best version available online because if you if you produce the best version available online you can then share it with your audience and you can do various other things to it to kind of engineer it to become near the top of google if not the top of Google. But if you haven't produced the best version of what is available online, then Google is absolutely right to not rank you top because there's stuff missing. It could be better. And that that goes down to, that could be simple things, like if it's littered with spelling mistakes, it doesn't deserve to be top of Google. If it's missing something that another article has, and that doesn't mean you have to copy it, but if it's missing like a, a key element, then it's not as comprehensive as the what the post ranking above it so that's right so if you do everything you can in your power to make it the best version available online then you stand the best chance of ranking even if you are a solo founder but it might take some time because you have to build up that authority that trust with google or whichever search engine it might be and backlinks are still a thing right backlinks are still a thing that's 
that's probably why people like I, I don't want to be trash talking Forbes or anyone like that, but <laughs> everyone knows Forbes, so I'll use them as an example. Mm-hmm. I wrote a post for one of my clients' modality systems. It was around something around Microsoft Teams, and for a day, literally for twenty four exactly twenty four hours, it ranked number one in Google immediately from the second I I pressed publish. Wow! And I was really happy about that, and I sent screenshots and posted about it and celebrated my success. I checked again the next day and it was number two because Forbes had written an article with a similar title, but I couldn't even see the content because it's behind a paywall. You had to sign in to read the content. So Google obviously hasn't signed into Forbes to read the content. So how does it know if it's better than my article? Sometimes you've just got to accept that Forbes has got millions of links. They've, they've already done the trust exercise with Google. So, while you're still doing that as a solo founder or a small business or whatever, other people have already been through this process and they are established. Yeah, that's very discouraging. <laughs> you know, writing a piece, getting ranked, and then seeing somebody um, but, rank but you. <laughs> over time, and I'll use a real example, and uh, I'm going to do it now as well just to um, satisfy my own curiosity. Over time, when you produce more content, everything will start to go up. So one of the first articles I wrote for Mio was around Slack integrations. It was the, uh, it was called something like the best 40 Slack integrations. I think it ranked like number four or five on Google. Above it was HubSpot, Zapier, someone else and someone else um, who I can't remember. Today, if I just searched that, okay, Slack are number one, they should be, right? If you're Googling Slack integrations, Slack is the right place to go. But number two is my blog post. I'm now above Zapier and HubSpot. Now, HubSpot have got a million marketers working for them. They are a marketing company. So me as my solo person embedded in Mio as the content marketer, the person writing the blog post, over time have overtaken however many people that work at HubSpot and Zapier. And we were above Slack at some point as well. And all that's done has been a very good post that has been shared on social media and in relevant Slack communities and different forums and things like that. And people have linked to it because it is good content. There also happens to be now 50 integrations mentioned in there. So I did a whole exercise around content promotion, which is telling people that they were included in that article. Mm -hmm. And I asked them to either share it on social media or to link to it on their website. That's not to say you need to go and feature 50 different people or brands in your articles, but when you do mention somebody, get them to one, read it, two, share it, and three, link to it if they're the right person to insert a link on their website. And over time, that has built up and that has overtaken HubSpot and Zapier, who are huge, huge brands. And like I said, it was just me doing this, right? So that's a, that's a good personal win for me, but also for the business. Yeah, that is amazing, you know, being all those bigger outlets. And I mean, that happens all the time when you get to a point when, when you consistently produce the best version available online, Google recognizes that actually HubSpot might have a trillion links, but this is better. And what is that dependent on? I know, I know we're not talking about the algorithm here, but what do you think it depends on? Like, is it just the writing itself? Like the algorithm can make out what is written or is more about the amount of time it's been read, shared, etc. 
So there's there's loads of components, right? But I think the I won't put a number on it, but some of the most mm -hmm. important things are: does it match search intent? I'll use that again. Mm -hmm. If I Google Slack integrations, is the article about Slack integrations, or is it just got the word Slack integrations in there a lot of times? And actually, it's about HubSpot software. Again, not Smackdog in HubSpot, but it's a it's a brand everybody knows. So it it, it goes through that. Does it match search intent? Does it satisfy search intent? Is the reader going to get what they came for? That's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And how does it work that out? Well, if you press back on, on that article and go back to Google and then go on the second spot, it hasn't satisfied your search intent because you're still in the research phase. You haven't either stayed on that page and clicked off it because you've got everything you came for or clicked through to another blog post or downloaded the product or done whatever it is. So the first thing is, does it satisfy search intent? Second then is when you're on the page, how long do you stay? What do you do when you're on the page? Is this content useful? Are you scrolling down the page to continue reading or did you only read the first line and then you gave up and you went back? Have you clicked through to another blog post? Has that blog post got your attention enough that you want to find out more about the company or the publication? And then have you gone on and read four, five, six more? Are you still on the website? This is all about time on page and user behavior. Is the content what you came for and then stayed for? And then the third, and I don't want to say most important because I was, I was going to say the third thing is, is it comprehensive? Mm -hmm. Do you need, they all links back in together really. Is it, is it as comprehensive as it possibly can be? Or do you need to go back and search the same thing again? Now, normally that's where people start throwing in, I guess, irrelevant queries to make the content longer. People do confuse comprehens comprehensiveness, mm. com the right word, being comprehensive with being long. So you can, uh, I, I, I wrote an outline for this guest writer, Femi, to write about Zoom best practices. I think he included 14. So it's not a huge post. I think it's about, might be 2000 words. To make that more comprehensive, it doesn't necessarily need to have more best practices because those 14 might be everything you need to know. This might be a bad example, but might be need, might be everything you need to know about Zoom to work productively or whatever. But then somebody competing with that would see that, see that there are 14 and go, well, I'm going to write 15 or 16 or 20 or 25. And just because it's got more words and more things in there, that doesn't mean it's better. It just means it's longer. And for a while, I think there was a, I guess, a phase where SEOs and content marketers just did bigger, not better. It will always be the most comprehensive content that wins, but there's a fine line between is this comprehensive or is it just really long for the sake of being really long? Yeah, it brings me back to something I was searching last week, I believe. I wanted to write a blog post about uh, somehow I ran across, I'm not sure if it was through my research, I came across a keyword, a long tail keyword, uh, 10 best reasons uh, to start a blog or start blogging, one of those things. And then I, uh, I did some of my research with some of the tools that I use, and then I went to Google and just typed it out. And the top results, like maybe seven first ones, I'm not sure if I looked more, they all sounded the same, you know, almost like the same bullet points. So like my 
my sort of question right after that was like, are these people just looking at one another and just letting it out? Right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, yeah. there's a, hor- there's a horrible <laughs> term. There's a horrible term for that in marketing. It's called skyscraper content, right? Okay. You take what is at the top of Google, the sky, and you scrape it and put it into your own content. Okay. So the, I just Googled why to start a blog. The top one is nine reasons you should start a blog, which I'm sure is very similar to what you got. Probably, the ne- yeah. The next one then is 20. How many of those 20, sorry, how many of those nine in the first one are included in the 20, do mm-hmm, you think? Mm-hmm. I bet they're all in there. And I bet that's because someone has gone, oh, we need to include that. We need to include that. You don't need to. They might, they might be nine really good reasons, but that doesn't mean they all have to be in yours. In other examples, if it was how to do something on WordPress, for example, then there is probably only one, two or three ways to do that. So they would all be included. But nine reasons you should start a blog. There could be so many different ways of wording that. It doesn't necessarily have to be all the same. Yeah. I mean, my sort of first, sort of first, um, I guess, gut reaction to that was like, I am not going to read any of these. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Because you, you automatically assume that they are as well, because <laughs> that's the experience that Google gives us, isn't it? It's Yeah. We're used to having, oh, well, I've read nine. I don't want to read... 10 because there's only going to be one thing different. I think I've got it <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so going with that, uh, what we're talking about here and like how much work needs to be done for something to rank as I'm going back again to sort of being a solo founder. So as a solo founder, like what's the bare minimum that can be done to achieve some sort of result? So let me outline my process for when I write a blog post and I'm gonna I'm going to read it from okay. my from my course content because this is what I do all day every day right number one finding a topic which you might already have the topics right if you're a solo founder you're probably going to write about the problems your product solves or it might be something to do with the industry you've got your topic but go away and validate that make sure that it is a thing it's not just jargon that you either made up or inherited from somebody else. I've made that mistake before. I've been calling something the wrong thing for, for years. And it turns out actually it's, it's the wrong word. And if I wrote something about that, nobody would ever search for it. So find a topic that exists and that people are going to search for, go to Google, see if people are searching for similar things. Second thing is to then write that content outline, like I said, and that could be used, or you could use that in a way where you go and collect queries from Google. It's literally giving you things that people are asking related to that topic. And then in that outline, put any other things you want to include, people you want to reach out to, sources you want to drop in or anything like that. They might be your own. Number three is then write the post. And that could be write it all in one go. I've, like I said, I wrote 1200 words today because I got back and I, I was just in the zone. It was something that I'm passionate about and I wrote about it very quickly but I haven't submitted it yet because number four is editing your own work. It's making it better. It's getting rid of those spelling mistakes. It's also putting in things like images and videos and all the things that make a blog post the best experience for the reader. Do you want a wall of text or do you want a diagram explaining what I just said above? Do you want to see what I just explained by embedding a YouTube video, things like that? So it's not just about correcting your grammar and things like that. That's that's number four, editing your own work. 
Number five is then optimizing for search engines, which people get scared of, right? And I'll preface this with, I'm not a technical SEO. All I do is produce high quality content. But there are some things you can do to get your content noticed on Google or noticed on Google quicker. And none of them are technical. And there are plugins on WordPress and other CMSs that help you do this right. You get tick lists if you install Yoast or Rank Math and things like that. So it's have you in, have you inserted internal links into your blog post, which says that you've already written about a similar topic or something I'm linking to that passes on authority onto other pieces. Are you referencing credible sites? Have you got a bit of data from a research company? That would be good to include an external link to them. Is it readable? Is it scannable? Things like that. So optimizing all the things you can do without being super technical or going into coding, things like that. And then the sixth thing is telling people about it. Nobody's going to find your work or your post unless you tell people about it. And that includes Google until you rank high naturally because you've already done all of this previous work. So I wrote a post on uh, content promotion strategies and there are 40 included there. So what did I do when I finished writing that post? I did every one of those 40 so that people would see it. And at the end of that process, which sounds a bit long when you are explaining it on the podcast, but in reality, that's your content outline with your topic, writing it, editing it, making people see it. That process, I guess, is what I do all day, every day. And Mm -hmm. the results happen either immediately or they take a long time, but they do happen. And that's why I still do this job. Yeah, um, I'm always trying to see like, uh, you know, like writing, I love writing. It's not uh, maybe my, probably my second, second favorite to coding. But then again, I default always to building the product, etc. So I always have to fight off my wish to stay on the product and not write, which I'm supposed to, and I'm still not writing as consistently as I would love to. And it's always a struggle. So like my... My thinking is like either ditch it completely because I'm not doing it or maybe just write once per month, like one 1200 word article. And is that, is that enough? If I do the majority or at least some of the steps that you've mentioned? I think it it, it depends on what you're writing about. Obviously, if there's a lot of competition and you can use SEO tools to assess keyword competition keyword competitiveness is what most of the platforms call it or you could just go on google and work it out yourself to be honest if the top 10 results are people you've heard of because they're big publications it's going to take a while to get there but Mm -hmm. if if it's a low competition keyword or key phrase or search string whatever you want to call it then yes that might well be enough but it is on a case-by-case basis so there's there's no definitive right. answer to if you follow dom's process and write 1200 words you will get it every single time right that's, that's not i wish it was the case because i'd be a millionaire but but also everybody would be doing it so it becomes saturated no that's true that's true and you you mentioned tools quickly what are some of the tools that you use in your process so i'm going to shock you i think i don't use any seo tools when i create content that ranks number one on google oh wow okay can you that's elaborate <laughs> I just go to Google and I see what's there. Google gives you so much to put your content outline together. So I've got a YouTube video where I literally do this. So it starts off with 
a rubbish title, which I change at the end. And it's, I, don't know, I think it's about 15 minute video. Ooh, Go to Google, okay. type in, I think it was delete, how to delete a chat on Microsoft Teams. There were then six other questions that people asked at the same time. So I put those as my, put them as my subheadings, my H2s on my Google Doc. And I answered them. So Google literally said, these are the questions that people want answered. And if you go and answer them in the best way possible, which is one, telling you how to do it, two, including a screenshot, so showing me how to do it. And if it needs it, getting the opinion of an expert on why you should do it or something like that. So I had my six sections, which Google gave me, and I wrote the best possible version of what was available online. And in about three weeks, four weeks time, it was number one on Google because it satisfied the search intent. It was telling me how to delete a chat at Microsoft Teams, but it was also super comprehensive because I included those six other relevant searches. Why would anyone ever go to another resource? There was nothing that wasn't included. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess you're sort of advocating that tools are not all they you know, seem to sound like they're great. You know, like we have, like, I was paying for HREPs. I barely used it. It's like $99 a month. And I think I used a like keyword tool for like some of the things, but never ended up writing. And then I've heard sort of your way of, and I've heard it from other people that, you know, I guess you have to have some feel about it since you're like in the, in this sort of, uh, industry that people use Google, um, just, you know, type it up and see the competition, like you said. So I guess that's, that is a thing. Like you don't have to use all the fancy tools out there. I think when, when you're a solo marketer, then you have the opportunity to go and inspect what is already there on Google. Now, cookies are a thing, right? So I would obviously, so I, I use an incognito browser on Chrome. I clear all my cookies before I do a search. I do as much as I can to not be remembered by Google so right. that it's as neutral as possible. When you use tools like Ahrefs or SEMrush or, or Moz, which are all good tools and they do very good, good things, it doesn't obviously take into account your tracking. It doesn't know what you've previously done because you're putting a search into its machine, not directly into Google, which is constantly tracking you. So there is, it kind of removes the bias of you're on your laptop in your house and you search for this yesterday, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which you can do some things to remove. But those tools are probably, <clears throat> I was going to say better, but probably mandatory when you're doing content at scale. So if you've got 50 writers, you're not going to pay them to sit around with Google and work out what needs to go in there. You're going to write a content brief for them and you're going to draw it all from those tools. It becomes a lot quicker and a lot easier. My gripe with them, I guess is probably the right word is their data is not exact because Google doesn't give any of those platforms, all of its data and information. Otherwise Google might as well not exist and they could just go away and make their own mm -hmm. search engine platform. So I've, I've been yeah. in cases where I've, I've looked at a, a keyword or key phrase or whatever it is. And it said, there are no, there is no search volume. And then I've gone and checked in my Google analytics and my article on that particular term has got a hundred thousand views this month. True. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so there's, there's a, there's a bit of a gap between those two, isn't there? So it might not be up to date mm -hmm. or it might not scale because they don't get all of the information pulled through on their APIs or however they're platforms work and that that's it's easy for me to say as someone that's just 
gone in and gone, oh, that's wrong. I'm never going to trust it again. But if you do ask the right people, they will tell you that we don't get all of the information, but it should scale. But no one will ever guarantee that their platform is 100% correct. And as a solo marketer, you have that, I guess, unique opportunity to spend time on Google, see what it tells you. You can even read the competing articles, can't you? You can say, well, this one's really good because it's got this, this, and this. It's got an infographic in here, so I'm probably going to do that. I might want to include a table. I might want to bullet these numbers because it just looks nicer and it will stand a better chance. Some tools like ClearScope will say, here are the SERP elements, which would say, actually, it's got a featured snippet. It's got an image or whatever. So it tells you those things there, but it doesn't tell you what they are. You still need to go to Google and work out are they any good? Is it a, is it an infographic that took four months to produce? Or is it literally just a logo which has just ended up appearing on Google? And you can definitely displace that because you can make something more informative, more helpful to that searcher. Makes sense. A while back, I had a, like I mentioned before, uh, project management tool. Uh, we were running a blog. I was writing on it. I didn't do a whole lot of research. I was writing topics and things around project management, uh, linking out to a lot of outlets that have to do with project management. And I got the domain authority quite high very fast. And I never knew how or why, but my my hunch has always been that maybe, maybe could have done, could have been uh, that I have outlinked to sort of a a group of links that belong sort of to the same cluster, same industry. Does that, does that matter at all? Like who you link out to, not just who links to you. It, it does matter in the okay. sense that if you're linking to uncredible sources, you will be penalized in the sense that you won't be ranked as high as you potentially mm-hmm. could be. So if you're ranking, if you're linking to, pages that don't have any information, if they're unreadable, if they're just terrible, then search engines will pick up on that. You're linking to uncredible sources, might even flag it as spam because it's clearly not helping the reader. A lot of, so there's there's a thing called link building, which is what you build, you build links by making good content. You build links by asking for a link. So there are link building communities where different marketers and agencies and things say, Here's my article. Who wants to link on it? I will give you a link back on something else or whatever it might be. And a lot of people don't, they don't appreciate the, the entire journey of that link. It's not just about getting a link into that content. I guess it is if it's your job to get links, but I would, I say no to more than 90% of people that say, Hey, can I have a link in this new post you've written? Because it doesn't make sense to the reader. Mm-hmm. I'll use an example that happens quite a lot. If I've written, if I've used an example where I've said marketing agency, just anywhere in the copy, like if you're a marketing agency and you use Slack, then you can do this. That's my copy. Someone has then said, oh, could you link to my marketing agency? www.mymarketingagency.com. Mm-hmm. I would I would always say no, because if there's a link there, that doesn't mean the reader wants to click through to that specific marketing agency. That's that's bad for the reader's experience. They're now in a random place on a random website that they didn't want to be, and that happens all the time. And that's so that's 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 a bad link, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and if if you do that and you the reader experience is poor people are going to click off your content so there's there's all those i guess long-term disadvantages of linking to the wrong place so you'll be penalized if you link to the poor places but if you link to credible sources like research companies and big news publications and things like that then you certainly won't get penalized but you won't really get rewarded you just won't get penalized yeah yeah totally there are so many so many intricacies that i think it's, it's hard to understand them all unless you're embedded into literally like making this content and reading content as well if you use google a lot it becomes quite obvious what is good and bad content and why things are ranking high yeah and at the end of the day you're writing for the reader you're not writing for the machine so exactly that link is in the weird place and i click on that marketing agency link and i say whoa what the like who is this why am i why am i all of a sudden this website so exactly yeah right yeah totally so one thing i didn't ask you uh Again, thank you so much for sharing all this information. Uh, anyone who's listening, I know I'm going to do that. I'm going to go re- listen to this, dissect a lot of things that you've said and see how I can work all that in into my process. Now, I can't possibly do, uh, I can't be as dedicated as you are because you, obviously, this is your profession, but me as a solo founder, uh, I have to do something with SEO. Like, I can't just not do it. So for anyone who's listening, what I'm trying to say is, you know, go back to, or if you haven't already, just to jot down some notes. And then especially that YouTube video sounds very intriguing. Uh, it was how to delete a chat in Google Teams, something along those lines, right? Um, walk through YouTube video that you had mentioned, how you did the research, etc. Yeah, it won't, won't be called that though. Let me tell you what it is called if anyone doesn't okay. search for it. wasn't prepared to okay wasn't prepared to plug in videos but <laughs> no worries too long to find it i've called it how to use people also ask and related searches oh god this is a long title Val. how to use people also ask and related searches to get one hundred and fifty thousand views per month hmm, interesting okay something, something like that all right all right well we'll research that i really want to get down into it and like look into that one thing i didn't ask you is how you got to this point like what is your background so I mentioned earlier that I used to be like the product person. So I've got 10 years experience of products in this space, which I guess by this space, it's evolved from business phone systems, literally like installing phones or configuring phones to be shipped out to somebody that evolved into um, soft phones, which is a horrible phrase and one that customers don't actually use and real people don't use them, but that's like the Slack interface now, but rewind 10 years and it looked disgusting and it was just a telephone keypad basically um so i've always been involved in that industry it's the only industry i've been involved in and after 10 years of provisioning project managing and then i kind of became a business consultant in that space so going out and telling people what they needed to buy and why they needed to buy it but not having a product to sell so i then ran procurements where i invited people like cisco and microsoft to, to come and bid on that at that point, I I wrote a blog for an industry publication. Just a, it was I think it was a competition actually. It was a guest post competition. Wrote a blog on that, and then I said, "Hey, this was really fun. Can I do this on a more regular basis?" And they started paying me a hundred bucks to write like one article a month. And then somebody at Mio found one of the posts that I wrote about Slack and Microsoft Teams. 
and and said, do you want to do this for us as a, as a job? Um, so I started doing that as a part-time job, kind of like blog writer slash editor. I didn't know anything about SEO or content marketing. Couldn't even tell you what content marketing was then. I was just writing. And at, at, at the end of that kind of part-time, part-time to full-time, it was, I was right. I was doing more hours part-time than I was with my full-time job. So I flipped it, took on me as a client, got a couple more clients just through writing in the right place and being found and have built up my freelance portfolio that way. So you weren't a writer to start with. You were working on something completely different. And then you wrote this piece, somebody saw you, and then that's how you became a, a writer, content marketer. Yeah, I guess I became a writer that way. I, I mean, I've always, loved, I've always loved writing. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to be a writer at school, I guess. I wanted to write about football. That's what I wanted to do. Wow, okay. I guess I wanted to be a sports journalist, but then... I started working with these products, got to like the technology, flukily wrote a couple of things about it, and then was given the time by Mio as well to go and work out how to turn this from a blog to a content marketing machine. So when, when I first started, I think we were getting maybe 50 views a month. Okay. That's and more than I get right now. So that's great. With, I mean, they were all through the CEO's LinkedIn. <laughs> this was, it. It was really hacking. It was, can you share this please so that someone can, someone can read this. But today it's, we're talking like 125,000 views per month. So oh, wow. it's, it's scaled enormously, but that's only because Mio gave me the time to go and do that and work out actually what is it I should be doing as well as just writing a good blog post. Was there sort of, um, their positive reaction to your writing, did that sort of help you believe more in your abilities and sort of like think, oh, okay, so this is what I like doing and it's not that hard and they like it. Like, did that play any sort of role into you wanting to go into this industry? I think I, I liked writing enough to continue it anyway. I think if there hadn't been a good reaction mm -hmm. there and I'd have had to have gone and found a new client, I wouldn't have been unhappy. But it was also driving revenue, right? So it would be a bad decision to say, I didn't like this blog post, even though it's gained us $50,000 this year. So could you write something else or we'll find somebody else? It, there was a clear correlation. I think that's mm -hmm. what a lot of people miss when they start blogging or content marketing it's the correlation between is what i'm writing about going to impact my bottom line you could go in and just write anything and nobody will ever buy a product but if you and there might be some tracking involved here to to fully validate this but if you write 10 blog posts a month maybe that's a bit extreme as a solo founder if you write three blog posts per month what is my roi on that activity mm -hmm. that I'm spending my time on. It might be that you put yourself at a couple of hundred dollars per day. That's your day rate. Are you earning that much back in revenue and sales? And in larger businesses, that's easy to justify because the groundwork is already done. But as a solo founder or a solo marketer, that's harder to do because it might take quite a while to reach that first sale. But I think as long as you're tracking it and you can constantly prove that you're not blogging for the sake of blogging, you are blogging for the sake of driving sales. Then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, all, it all falls into place. You become happy because you're making money. 
Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I sort of get, have to get myself sort of into the mood of, you know, or maybe just make a block in, in my calendar that says, today you write, and that's it, nothing else. Or it might just be that. a, today you work out what you're going to write, and then tomorrow you work True. out what you're going to put into those blogs, and then next week you write them. That would be probably how yeah. I go about it. You've got, you've probably got this list of topics. I'm not just talking to you personally, but I guess anyone listening, you've got this list of topics. Validate that people want to read about this, that people might be searching on it. How do you do that? Go on Google, see if it's, see if it's there, see if people are searching for it. Then, I guess, prioritize them in terms of, do you want to write about it or are you forcing yourself? You'll probably be more efficient if you're enjoying what you're writing about. And then turn that into a content outline, do a couple of those when you've got some downtime, fill in the blanks. That's, that's what I like to kind of explain why you use a content outline, because you can just go back and fill in the blanks. You kind mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. take away the what comes next because it's already there. You know what comes next. So just write about it. Yeah, that's that sounds so much easier. Like usually what I do is I try to get it done, like I mentioned before, uh, like have to get it done in one sitting, maybe tomorrow, one more edit and that's it. Sort of like I give that pressure to myself. But if I were to focus on the outline, designing the outline first, and then getting that sort of off my back, then I'm more confident that in my next sitting, it'll be much easier because I will write on these bullet points and I don't have to think much about it because I've done some research on it. So yeah, um, I really have to rethink my process or, or lack of it uh, until up to this point, you know? So yeah, yeah. And I mean, my, super helpful. my, my process might not work at all for some people. It's about finding what works for you, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. what I've kind of developed over the last few years that if I was to do anything else, it would be detrimental to my output. So that works for me, but it's about finding what, what works for what works. you as an individual. Very cool. Dominic, is there any question that I didn't ask you that you would like to talk about? I guess we didn't cover the, or maybe we did cover it a little bit. Things outside of SEO that can help SEO. And that's, that's mostly around promoting your content. It's easy to hit publish and not do anything. But like I said, that's not going to impact your bottom line. You're not going to get leads if nobody sees your content. So there are so many different places to promote your content. And I think it's just they're undiscovered or people are too lazy to go and find them, right? So the obvious ones, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, the harder ones, getting other people to share them. But ask, will you share my article on Twitter, please? Thank you. Mm -hmm. What can I do for you in return? That's the deal breakers. Oh, great. I'm going to get something out of this. And all I've done is shared a blog post. Easy. It took me five seconds because you gave me the link. You gave me everything I needed to do. There's also then, I guess, longer or higher effort things that you can do to promote your content. Go on a podcast. I've mentioned my content outline course. I've got a course. If, if there were show notes, I would ask for it to be included in a link so that people would go and find it there. I would then share the podcast as well. And then I know that there is the opportunity for people to find my course, my blog post, my product, whatever it is in a link on the show notes. There's also tons of other social media platforms, right? You can just go through all of them and share, maybe not your content directly, but when you get involved in conversations on them, there might be the opportunity to then say, oh, I've written a blog post about this. This might help you. 
and that applies on things like Reddit and Quora. Rather than just making a new post on Reddit, you would get involved with the community, and when it's time, you'll say, I wrote this a little while ago, this might help you, something like that. Then there are so many other things you can do, right? Email newsletters, talk about them in Twitter spaces, etc., etc., etc. So many things that you can do to promote your content. It's just, it's easier not to. And that all has a long-term effect on SEO. If people are enjoying your content, they will link to it. They will stay on the page. All these good things that Google likes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good to know. I don't do that as much either. So yeah, uh, a note for myself on that one as well. I used to do it in Quora before. Is Quora still relevant? Uh, Usually recently when I'm going into it, like I'm finding some content that, you know, it's just super promotional and, uh, I'm not sure if, if Quora is still a good place, is it? So I guess that's an example of people doing content promotion wrong. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be every single time you're just sharing a link. You need to be adding value, right? So does your link add value? No, don't include it. There is There are long-term benefits of using Quora in that I answer a lot of questions about Slack, how to do different things in Slack. I will then get a notification that says, somebody asked me to respond to that particular question. So I no longer have to go out and find those questions. They come to me because I've become a trusted resource, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a great place to be in because I can go, I'll respond to that because it's going to take me two minutes and it will continue building my credibility. Or I will go, I've got a blog post about that. And I will be very quick on the trigger. And I'll be like, I want to be the top post. I want to be the first post. Respond to that. Here's my blog post. Get your thumbs up. But it does depend on, I guess, the what your product is, what your content is. I'm sure there are some things that are completely irrelevant, but for my niche industry, it, it's a good place to, to hang out. Pretty cool. Yeah. All right, uh, Dominic, I think we've reached our, uh, the uh, one hour, actually we're over it, about we're 10 over, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. So yeah, enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much for sharing everything you shared on the show. Uh, I found it super, super helpful for me personally. I'm sure a lot of solo founders will uh, find it helpful. And also after the show, let me know about the course link and I'll link it in the show notes for anybody who wants to take advantage of it and learn more. So I'll give you, I'll give you a little, uh, I'll give you a little 30% discount code as well, if you like. There you go. Even better. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, perfect. All right, Dominic. So I guess I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Val. It's been, uh, it's been great chatting to you.